People wonder why fraud's up so much and it all started during the pandemic. We actually did a search for PPP loans. We wanted to say, did those people that bought a car with a synthetic identity actually ever try to get a PPP loan? And 76% of the people that went into dealership to get a car with a synthetic identity last year had gotten a PPP loan the prior year. There was a very strong correlation. What's up, everyone? This is Car Dealership Guy. You're listening to the Car Dealership Guy podcast, which is my effort to give you access to the most unbiased and transparent insights into the car market. Let's get into today's episode. Frank McKenna is chief fraud strategist at Point Predictive, a tech company providing AI-based risk management solutions for lending markets. In this conversation, we discuss why auto loan fraud schemes are increasing at a record pace, the riskiest types of dealerships in the market, the fastest rising types of fraud, credit repair scams and the rise of fake pay stubs, the impact of digital retailing on mitigating fraud, and opportunities to capitalize on all this inefficiency. This was a fascinating conversation, unlike any others that I've had before on the podcast. I want to also note that Frank was kind enough to share Point Predictive's free fraud insights with our audience. If you're interested in learning more, you can visit the link in the show notes below. All right, let's get into the episode. All right, we got Frank McKenna on the CDG podcast. Frank, welcome. Hey, thank you. It's great to be here today. Thanks for coming on, Frank. I um I want to cut right to the chase. The first thing that struck out at me about you, your company, which I found very interesting, um, was your title. I haven't heard this before. Can you just tell me about this chief fraud strategist? One quick thing before you start with that, though, I want to kind of give some background. Yeah. Right now, with everything going on in the industry, all the consumers with negative equity that's you know piling on, right? People owing on cars more than they more than it's worth plus insurance rates at all-time highs. I've just been seeing, getting a lot of murmurs about fraud and, yeah, you know, and just stuff from dealers uh, sending me DMs, people asking me questions. So I think it's a very, just a very dynamic time right now to be in anything related to fraud, which is why I thought this was going to be such an interesting conversation. But anyways, that's the context why I'm really intrigued about what's happening on that side of the world. So anyways, I'll let you jump in. Yeah, it's uh it is. It's I've been in anti-fraud management just so you know about 30 years. So I started back in 1990. My title is Chief Fraud Strategist. I'm probably the only one in the world maybe that has that title. So <laughs> it's not not unusual that you what what the heck is that? It's my background really. Fraud is moving, it's changing every single day. There's something happening out there. Fraudsters are coming up with new schemes. So my role is really to figure out what's happening in the industry, what these dealers and these lenders are getting hit with, use our artificial intelligence and all the data that we have here to try to build strategies to help them counteract it. So it's really a proactive type of role to try to help the industry attack fraud. So how did you get, how did you get to this point? I mean, I can only imagine you did it, graduate college and tell yourself, I want to go be a fraud detector. Go ahead. And I say that tongue yeah. in cheek, but I'm curious to know, like, what's the career path here? I had no idea. Yeah, it started, like, maybe a lot, a lot of people fall into their job. I really did. I, my work, I had, right out of college, I got a really terrible job as a customer service agent at a bank, answering phone calls. My shift was from 5 a.m. to 1 p.m., answering calls from people that just were yelling at me all day. And one day I got a call, and it was a fraud. It was somebody trying to perpetrate a fraud against a customer's account. And I stood up to the manager. I said, what should I do with this? It's a fraud in, in, in progress. This person's trying to steal their card. They said, transfer to the fraud department. And I was like, wow, we have a fraud department. And I was intrigued. Uh, eventually, a role opened up there, and I applied for it, and I got the role. So it was really just by chance and by a stroke of luck that I kind of fell into it. It wasn't a career plan, but once... 
once you like, and you know this, right? When you find a fraud, it really kind of makes a hair stand up on the back of your neck and you really get pretty excited about it. That was the way I felt and I never wanted to do anything else. Yeah, look, any dealer that, especially dealers that work in subprime, they all have these like fake pay stub collections. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. Whoever's listening that isn't in the business or isn't a dealer, uh, yes, it's true. You know, it's like there's tons of fake pay stubs, which is I think one of the most common types of fraud in this business. It goes without saying every dealer runs into that at some point, whether, you know, just subprime or not, it's uh, every dealer runs into it. So we're going to get into a lot here, like what's happening in the market right now? Why is there, you know, an increase in fraud, at least from my perspective, what I've been seeing, and I'm sure, you know, you're going to add a lot more. Uh, also, how this impacts consumers, right? Where should consumers shop? There's a lot to discuss here. Before we get into that, can you tell us about your current company, Point Predictive, leading up to this point? Like, why did you start this company? What's the purpose of the company? Yeah, Point Predictive, we started it back in 2017. So the really the genesis of the company was we felt there was a big gap. Auto lenders and dealers, if you think about the industry, there's, you know, thousands of, of lenders out there that are loaning money and there's tens and thousands of dealers that are selling cars and trying to find financing. And there's a lot of holes and gaps that the fraudsters can slip through because if they get discovered at one dealer, they can just go down the street and hit another. And what we what we thought is we want to fill the gap with a consortium. So what a consortium is, is basically a pooling of all the data in the industry into a central repository so that if we see a fraud, like a person walk into a dealership and use a stolen identity, if we see that person again, we can notify that dealer and that lender that we've seen them and that there's a potential fraud. So we really tried to fill the gap with a database that can target fraud centrally so that these play, these bad actors can't go from lender to lender, dealer to dealer, perpetrating these frauds. How big is this problem in the country right now? Like just numbers wise, can you like size that up? Yeah, it's massive. So like this year, we expect over $8 billion in fraud. That's funded fraud. That means that these loans were booked. And they had evidence of identity theft, synthetic identity, income misrepresentation, employment fraud. There's a whole gamut of schemes and scams, but it's an, it's over $8 billion a year problem just in losses alone. What are the most, like, what are the fastest growing types of fraud that you're seeing in the country right now? Right now, it's synthetic identity. Now, you, have you heard this term? Well, I'm going to assume like it's sort of like a version of identity theft. That's my It's assumption. a version of identity theft. It's, a, it's basically, it's a limitless fraud. And the reason I say that is because you can take any identity, you can steal a social security number, a, you can use a name, an address, like a mailboxes, et cetera. You can get a Google voice. You can basically apply with that kind of hodgepodge of information and create a completely fabricated identity. That fabricated identity doesn't tie back to a victim. So you can walk into a dealership, use one of these fabricated identities called synthetic identities, buy a car and they can't find you once you buy that car. That's the fastest growing fraud right now. In the what do they do with social? What do they do with the social security number? Social security number. So there's a big scheme and actually some dealerships get involved with this. It's called CPNs. I don't know if you ever heard this term. It means credit privacy number. Consumers are being uh, sold these credit privacy numbers under the guise that it's protecting their privacy. But what they're being sold by, by these credit repair companies is a social is a stolen social security number. So they buy these. They think they're getting. They're using a CPN. They're just using a stolen social security number, and they're providing all of their information 
according to what the credit repair company tells them to do. And what they're actually doing is creating this fictitious identity. And a lot of times they're getting arrested for it because they've used this stolen social security number. Is there like specific regions in the country where we're seeing this happen the most? Houston, Texas is the number one hotspot for synthetic identity. Houston, right? Texas. Yeah, Look Houston, Texas. Well, it's, why is uh, that? Is there like, well, what's specific um, about Houston? What's specific about Houston? I think the fraud, what, what tends to happen here in the U.S. is you have fraud rings that get really good at a specific type of fraud. Mm. And in Houston, there's a lot of these synthetic people that know how to commit this synthetic identity. And they tend to just gravitate towards that city and hit the dealerships wow. um, because they've been successful. Um, other cities, Detroit, Miami, Los Angeles, San Diego. I mean, it's all over, but Houston is mm -hmm. the number one. I'd say the number is this, one. Is this mainly concentrated in like subprime consumers or is this all over the map with prime as well? What are you seeing this with? It's kind of- I'm trying to think like what's motivating someone to go down this path, right? Is it like not being able to get approved for a loan, not having the income? Like what? what's the driver? There's two, there's two motivations. So it's a really good question because there's really two motivations. You got the people that have really bad credit that can't get a car and they get kind of led down this slippery slope using a CPN or a stolen sure. social security and we create a new credit profile that looks good so they can buy the car. Those are kind of well-intentioned people that just want the car. But at the end of the day, they really can't afford the cars they're getting into because they're overextending themselves. So you have that kind of, I call that fraud for car and thus that, that's probably more skewed to like a subprime borrower. Which I, and, and I would say there that like probably the root cause, again, just one element at least is like affordability crisis, right? Like cars are so unaffordable on a relative basis that people are trying to, you know, doing these creative things to get into transportation. Um, and in theory, right, if you're able to have more affordable cars, which again is a big theory, then you could probably mitigate a, a lot of that fraud at least. So at least for yeah. the first one that you mentioned. I think you're right. So I think you're absolutely right about that. I think there's another driving force. Go ahead. And it's the the development of all these credit repair companies that have sprouted up since COVID, where people are working out of their house selling credit repair services. They're kind of yeah, shady. What, what do these what do these actually do? Like I, these things like pop up on like Facebook and stuff. Like what do these companies actually do? Are these things real? What what is this? These companies, they're not even companies, they're people that learn how to commit these kind of sophisticated frauds like synthetic identity, credit washing. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but this is where you can wipe out all of your negative credit by claiming identity theft. So they offer services like that. They, they, sell, they sell primary trade lines. This is crazy what they're doing with primary trade lines right now, but they're selling these fake trade lines to people. What they're doing is just selling these services. They're often charging anywhere from like $80 to $1,000 to these people. And they're basically repairing their credit in a real shady way. So they're giving them new identities. They're putting a bunch of fake trade lines on their credit bureau. They're having them walk into dealerships and buy cars. So these credit repair companies are sprouting up everywhere. That's why you're getting all these ads. But that's a driving force behind all this synthetic identity and fake identity usage in, in dealers and lenders. Got it. So you're saying these things are not legit and that's also just amplifying this entire fraud issue that's kind of the industry is dealing with. It's amplifying it, right? And uh, it's not just limited to subprime, by the way. I know we, we had um, yeah. talked about fraud for, for car, but there's a whole bunch of fraudsters that want that the car, want to actually make a profit. So they want to use a synthetic identity, walk into a dealership, buy a high-end car, put it on a shipping container, send it overseas, and sell it for enormous profit. Like a, a, a Range Rover, for example, you can finance one of those with synthetic identity, 
pay 5,000 to put it on a shipping container and sell it for 200 to 250,000 in China or Vietnam. So there's a whole black market there for these um, cars. Wow. So these synthetic identities are being used in that way as well. Not just for people that want cars, but actually professional fraudsters. Wow. That's, that's, I, you know, I haven't heard about that. It's very under discussion. I mean, I've heard about exporting cars like that, but using the synthetic identity, that's a new one. So what are you seeing right now other than synthetic fraud? Like what are other, you know, rising forms of fraud? And I know I specifically mentioned you in our email prior to this podcast, um, auto insurance, really? um, and just, you know, consumers struggling to get that. But like, are you seeing anything else on that side of the realm? Yeah. Auto insurance. That's an interesting one. I live here in San Diego and we have a big problem with that where people get underwater in their loans and they take their cars down into Tijuana or Mexico and ditch them there and, you know, claim their car was stolen. That happens all the time. So that's a, that's a type of fraud. I think that, uh, you had brought up, we definitely see that, but other types of fraud that are really rising. Um, there's a, a scheme that we've seen in the last six months called zombie debt reassignment. And what this is, is people are buying zombie debts. These are debts that have kind of fallen off credit, credit reports. They're repackaging them and putting them on, they're selling them to consumers. And these are showing up as primary trade lines on people's credit bureaus. These can be for high-end autos. So you can get a subprime borrower and you can see that they have a BMW, you know, $80,000, $90,000 BMW that they just paid off. It's all fake. It's called zombie debt reassignment. We're Wait, seeing- How is that actually happening? Like how are none of the credit bureaus catching on to that? Uh, they, it's so new. It's just started six months ago. And you can go on YouTube and you can see all these videos, zombie debt so reassignment. So how do you know about it? How do you guys know about it? Uh, I research it just through YouTube videos. I watch, I, I, what I do on the weekend, I look for fraud that people are talking about. And this is something that oh, wow. all I love the fraudsters that. are talking about. Yeah. You, keep your, you keep your ear to the ground. You're just like, what's new? What's That's new? That's amazing. And so I usually I find out about this stuff before, you know, the credit bureaus do because I'd saw, I'm looking for it all the time. Another no, one but, is, but, yeah. but that's a great, uh, you, you made a really good point there, which is like, use these things sprout in like the most mainstream place. Like you go on Facebook right now, you can find like a cars for sale with no titles. Like you can find all these things yeah. in the most mainstream open public arenas. Um, yeah. You just have to look for them and being, you know, just naturally curious about it. And then you can do the, the more, the more sophisticated digging in, but that's a great point. Yeah. That's I mean, I'm constantly, I mean, I got bookmarks that I, I scan Twitter, I scan YouTube, I scan Instagram, Facebook, I go into Telegram. I don't know if you've been to Telegram, but you can yeah. find all this stuff happening. And, and these things are coming up left and right. And they have real consequences to dealers and lenders, right? Because these are what people are doing right now. The, you know, income fraud and employment fraud is just skyrocketing, you know, with affordability and with the interest rates rising, people can't afford the cars, so they have to fudge their income. So we're seeing a lot of income fraud. Uh, here's a stat for you. One in four people that walk into a car dealership are going to lie to you about their income. 25% of- One in four? One in four. It's statistic. Of, is that, wow. Is that across every dealership or like specific That's cohorts? That's industry, right? It could be higher. It could be a little lower. It's it's that's an industry average stat. Um, we've seen some lenders that work with some dealers that one out of every three uh, are misrepresenting their income. Um, so that's so what's a, the, what's the net effect of that though? Is that the net effect just like you know greater than expected losses or what? Yeah. What is actually the net effect? And then how do you actually fix that or how are you solving a portion of that? 
Like, are, are you are you looking up into like their portal, into their de dealership management system? Like, what's the solution? Yeah. So what we do. So the what what the issue with it is it generally results in a, a borrower getting a loan they can't afford. They overrepresented how much they can pay. Their loan payments are just too high for them, so they end up defaulting. We call it early payment default, meaning that they they stop paying almost right away because they just can't afford those payments. Um, so what we try to do is get ahead of that. We have a product that's in, called Income Pass. And what we do with that is we analyze the borrower's income, their occupation, their employer. We go back in our proprietary data, all of our consortium data, and see what, the, what have they reported in the past and does it track to their history. But we also have a lot of data about what you probably should make based upon your occupation. If you're a plumber in New York City, the range that we typically see might be 80 to 100 thousand dollars so how do you fit there if you're reporting way over that we can flag it for the dealership so that they can do a little bit more research into that maybe analyze the pay stubs look at the bank statements use a you know a tool where you can actually get right into those bank statements and scan if they're legitimate or not <laughs> so it's really where just, are you getting and where are you getting kind of most of your data most of our data comes in from uh, lenders across the industry so we're scoring millions of applications. So lenders send us every application and we score it for them. We're getting about 85 data points off the application, you know, who the who the borrower was, name, address, phone, what type of car, who the dealer was, you know, loan to values, all of the metrics around the loan itself. We get all that and then we're able to score it and, and put it into a central database. So we can look at a lot of, we can look at how consistent a borrower is over time with their reporting. We can also see how a dealer, the, the dealer's transaction flow. So what are they getting in? We can see if a dealer is getting a lot of risky loans or if a dealer is getting a lot of non-risky loans, if they're getting a lot of synthetic identities or people misrepresenting their income. We get to see at a dealership level as well, you know, who's really risky and who's not. And how do you do all this? Like, do you hook up with the dealer's um, like dealership management system or what's, how do you actually get this information? Yeah, so with lenders, we get it from their loan origination systems. So we're integrated with loan origination systems. With dealers, we're integrated now with Route One. Ah, uh, uh, got it. The portals. Yeah, yep. Portals. So we're integrated mm -hmm. with a lot of those desktops, and so got dealers it. can, when they get the loans in, they can they can hit our database and get the the information they need. You had you had sent me an email, some just a couple points, and one of the things you mentioned was um, these you know KBA quizzes. Can you can you explain that to just the audience and kind of the issues you're seeing with this thing, these KBA quizzes, what they are? Yeah, KBA quiz stands for knowledge-based authentication. And dealers hate these things. And and my experience with it is that six months ago, I went into a dealership to buy a car. They printed off this KBA quiz, which is basically a survey from the credit bureau that's asking me things like, where who who do you have your mortgage with? You know, what color was your 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 Hyundai Excel. And they ask you these questions that are off of the credit bureau and public records. And they're really archaic. They were designed to really quiz the person coming in the dealership to see if they were a identity thief or the true person. Um, but statistically, 50% of borrowers fail those quizzes because they're so difficult to answer a lot of these questions. 90% of fraudsters pass those quizzes so they're really skewed to the fraudster being able to answer the questions first, the consumer. Yeah, it's like a false because, positive, yeah. 
the false positives. And the reason is, is because fraudsters know they're going to get this quiz from a dealership. So they pull a credit karma before they walk into the dealership and they will either have that with them or memorize some of the answers. So when they go in, they're able to fill it out. So it's just, it takes about five minutes. It's really an onerous process. It impacts borrowers. We just think it's like probably something that shouldn't be done anymore. Um, it just causes so much impact. Do you see, but so do you see all this, like I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking with the, the thinking cap of a dealer. Do you see all the fraud and stuff like this actually declining or at least consumer, a fraud that yeah, starts with a consumer, do you see that declining with the adoption of like fintech and digital retailing solutions? And like, here, let me give you my context. Yeah. A couple of years ago, we actually tried doing a direct integration with one of our lenders. Um, and it was really interesting because the lender, the, some of the, I could see by the questions they were asking us that they were favoring this type of practice, or at least they, they were interested to see what it's going to work like because they figured, hey, it's one less you know, transfer of information. It's not the consumer going to uh, the dealer, then the dealer submitting the information. So there's going to be less fraud in general, right? You're gonna, or you're going to have information that's more accurate. And once you eliminate the human being from the, from the equation, right, there's going to be less fraud. The issue mm -hmm. we found was that people suck at putting in their own information. And so we shut it off because it didn't work. Like they didn't, you know, at least, you know, a certain, you know, consumer wasn't able to properly put their, their right type of information for the, uh, within the, the system. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, with that said, but the insight that I took away from that experience was that lenders loved hearing that a dealer or a middleman or middle, you know, just there's no kind of middle party involved in the transfer of information, whether it be anyone, a dealer, a customer, whoever. So what do you think about that? Like with the adoption of these fintech tools and, and systems and, you know, people really being able to get their terms and, um, you know, get their terms of their deal prior to even coming into a dealership, do you think that's going to help this? Or do you think it's just going to kind of introduce a different type of issue with the lending to lending world? Yeah, there's always, well, here's the thing about fraud. There's always a loophole, right? You solve something temporarily and then they figure a way around it. So no matter what you do from a, from a process perspective, you always have to expect they're going to find a way around it. Fraud is cheating. So that's, that's what you can expect is it might give a temporary, uh, it might help you temporarily, but at the end of the day, you're, they're just, you're going to have to put in controls to stop the things that they find. Um, there are some really good fintech type solutions though, that are going to get the borrower more involved in the stipulation process. So if you think about, you know, one of the ways that I think it could go with fintech is, you know, everybody has a phone and the phone is a great way to collect information from a consumer. So rather than get the consumer's driver's license, go to the fax machine, take a photocopy of it and send it off to the lender. You know, there's technology now where you can just send the consumer a link. They take a picture of the driver's license. When they submit it, it goes through scanning software to verify if it's counterfeit, to verify it's legitimate, verify all the information goes back to the consumer, and then you get a full resolution copy of that driver's license in the file. That's an example of a great use of fintech that I think will cut back on fraud, right? And there's other, there's other you know, ways that you can use the phone, collecting the bank statements. So having people log in and provide access to their bank account and their statements you know, directly to the lender and the dealer um, that's going to, that's going to provide a lot of value, I think as well. And do you guys, this point predictive, do you hook up with any of these services or is that through the lender side? 
we hook up with those services. Yeah, we do. We do a lot of the um, so a lot of public record searches. We'll do hook up with providers for that. We're we're running uh, some tests with a driver's license uh, service. Um, you know, we have a lot of different areas that we'll kind of plug into to try to give make kind of a one stop shop so the dealers don't need to keep going to all these different locations. Got it. From a company perspective, putting aside for a second, um, the, you know, the meat and potatoes, as I call it, <laughs> how, yeah. how do you guys make money? Uh, we make money uh, transaction-based. So when somebody hits our, we have an API. The API this- operates in real time. People will ping that API. It generally takes about 400 milliseconds for us to respond. Every time they hit that API, um, there's a cost for that. And we, that's how we make money is just people calling our scoring and alerting services um, to, uh, to get information and flags from us. Yeah. You know, I've always assumed that these services like are integrated with the lenders, Mm -hmm. um, but it makes sense. It makes total sense to think why, especially with, you know, where, what's happening in the macro economy and just, uh, how the consumer is getting squeezed. It makes sense to think about this more proactively kind of within the dealership. Mm -hmm. Um, especially if you're saying that, you know, if it can improve loan performance, improve profitability, I think that's where I'd be really curious to know, like, what does that actually look like when it comes down to the, when it comes down to the brass tacks, right? Like what are, what's actually the improvement? Like, does it move the needle? Um, and so like how much? Yeah. I mean, uh, so for a dealership perspective, you know, we, when we go into a dealership and they're, they ask the same question, like, what is this going to do for me? And they'll give us all their fraud loans that they had over the last year and say, what, what would the system have told me at the time? this person came into the dealership and using the data, the proprietary data that we have and the, and the information that we're able to glean from that data, we're able to stop upwards of 90% of that fraud. We don't, we can't stop everything because some frauds always going to slip through, mm-hmm. but about nine, of, nine out of every 10 of those frauds that you had, we're able to kind of stop that. So brass tacks, that's the improvement from a dealer perspective, from a lender perspective, we're typically able to reduce their risk from a loss perspective by about anywhere from 40 to 60% of the defaults, early payment default. So these are loans that are faulting within the first six months. So that's really where we help stop loss, but we're actually, a lot of it's on the automation side. So for a dealer, like dealers are really frustrated, I think with a lot of the false positives they get from the red flag alerts they have to work. Um, we're, because we're using more refined AI techniques and better data, we can typically get those false positives down too. So ultimately less work as well. Yeah. So from a consumer perspective, I want, I want to hopefully dispel a myth, but you know, you can tell me if I'm wrong because you're the expert. Um, is it true that independent dealers are riskier than franchise dealers? And I say this as someone that's you know only been in the independent world, but I've seen franchise dealers with worse compliance uh, and processes than the most simple stuff we have implemented. So I want to hear from you, like are independent dealers actually riskier? And if so, like, why is that the case? Yeah, I mean, so it's not that simple of an answer. If you look at it at, across the industry average, yes, independent dealers have higher fraud rates on average than a franchise dealer. But that doesn't really tell the real story because There's a lot of dynamics that go into why that is. And a lot of times it's more a question of size than independent or franchise. Um, Independent dealers often don't don't have the same access to capital that the big franchise dealers will. 
So they can't like recondition the cars necessarily to the same way some of the franchise dealers do. They don't have access to as much capital. So if they get hit with a fraud or two, that can put a small independent dealer out of business. So although that financial aspect might make an independent seem riskier. But the fact is, you're absolutely right. We see franchise dealers that are worse than any other, any independent dealer we've seen. Um, and it's because the franchise dealers oftentimes don't get the pushbacks from the manufacturers that they will, the, that the independents will. The Indies so are scrutinized. The, 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 Indi the Indies are absolutely scrutinized, 100%. They're scrutinized. Um, I've, always, I've always had this, yeah. Yeah. So their fraud rates are going to be higher because um, we went into some dealerships and they're, let's say they're Toyota dealership, right? And they're like, we get pushbacks from, because they carry used cars too. They have, we get pushbacks from Ford and Honda and we get pushbacks from, you know, Westlake and Ally. We never get one from Toyota. And I'm like, we have no fraud on Toyota. I'm like, no, you're just not getting the pushbacks. <laughs> they don't push back loans to their own dealerships. So naturally, independents are going to be at a higher pushback rate. And I think uh -huh. all of that, so it's not a, there's not a one simple answer. You can't say, oh, you're an independent, you're higher risk. It really depends on the dealership themselves. So like, as, but as a consumer, should I care where, like, does it matter to me where I shop then? I listen, I always say like, there's bad actors and good actors in every single segment of the market. You have great independents, you have not great independents, you have great franchises, you have not great franchises. So I hate lumping like everyone into um, like one bucket because it's just never accurate. Um, but with that said, like as a consumer, um, like putting dealers aside for like, as a consumer, should I care where I shop, where I do, if uh, you know a, a specific dealer or you know business is engaging in kind of these frauds or like, like or essentially what, what's the impact on me if that is the case? Yeah, it's interesting that that's an interesting question because we actually looked at what makes a dealer risky. And so we identified like, you know, 10 factors that makes one dealer risky and one not risky. And one of the fundamental things that we saw when a lender's experiencing a bad relationship with a dealer due to fraud, the consumers, if you go to the Yelp reviews and not that you can always trust these Yelp reviews and Google reviews, but we saw a strong correlation to the consumer experience to the lender experience. So when a dealer had a really bad rating, uh, they typically had a bad fraud relationship with a lender. So the consumer is being impacted simultaneous to the lender when there's a bad dealer. So got it. That's that's there is very a interesting. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask you. Like, I read um I read an article a year or two ago where it was like. I forget exactly what it said about the early days of Facebook, the company, but it said that like if you got, I think like five friends or something added on Facebook on a social network, there was like a 90% chance that you were going to become like a lifelong user. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what I was going to ask, and maybe you just answered that question, but like, is there, like, do you have that kind of heuristic or, you know, those, like if a dealer has a yellow flag on his lot and there's a high chance that he's committing fraud. Again, I say that like sarcastically, but is there something like that from your data that you've gleaned? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of those. It's not a single stat, but I mean, there's things like we can tell if a dealer is going to go bad by like a few different stats. Like the first thing we look at is since we calculate a fraud score for every application a dealer receives, if we're working with a lender and we see a dealer that has an average fraud score over the last month 
uh, over 700 and our score goes from one, which is low risk to 999. So it's kind of like reverse of FICO. The higher the, the score, the higher the fraud risk. We see a dealer start to exceed a certain average fraud score. We know that the early payment defaults and pushbacks are going to go up the following mm -hmm. month. That's a kind of a one heuristic that we have. We also see if a dealer's rate of synthetic identity, where we see how many synthetic identities are they flagging, if it goes above 10%, so one out of every 10 loans look at synthetic, we know they're getting hit with fraud. And we can typically go back to that deal and say, hey, you might want to look at what's happening. We look at kind of the 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 transaction statistics from every dealer and we can pick we can pick apart who's going bad and who's gonna present a problem to a lender and maybe with the ownership themselves because they could go out of business. The, um, the fact is though, 97% of dealers are above board. There's no shady activity, no high fraud going on. It's typically about 3% at any given time where there's something going on at that dealership, whether it's a, a dealer themselves as the issue or finance manager or salespeople. Yeah. So overwhelming majority of dealers, I know the dealers get a, a bad name a lot of times for fraud, but it's really a few bad apples that kind of spoil the bunch. You know, as you were speaking, one thought that came to my mind uh, that I think would be you know pretty badass is that if I if I'm a very good actor, or at least if I'm above average in baseline as a dealer, or you know, you know, I, I think that there should be some, or at least if I'm a lender, you you could definitely reward me for that. I know I know it's like almost like rewarding for doing the right thing, which it should be rewarded for that. That's to be the default, but I think that like, I just think that there's like an inefficiency there almost, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's, if you can provide me with data or if I'm, a, if I'm simply performing above average, then you could almost give me a more competitive, as a lender, you could be more competitive and offer me better rates, better terms. And I'm more inclined to go with your deal. Maybe it's just better for me and it's better for the consumer. So I think yeah. that like, it's very interesting when, when, whenever I see like, you know, billions of inefficiency anywhere, right? Like to me, it's an opportunity. Um, and so I think it's smart, like you're exposing that, the, the thing that I'm thinking about right now is like, who's the lender that's not just going to say, oh, that's great. Let me leverage this and make more money, but rather let me leverage this and be more competitive by those dealers that are doing the right thing. Those consumers that are providing right information, let me offer them better deals. And then net net, I get more market share. The dealer gives me more business. The consumer is happy. Everyone wins. Yep. That's, that's exactly right. And we, uh, we actually have a dashboard that we that lenders use of ours, where we show them every single dealer in the country and how many loans, that, how many times we've seen them, how many frauds they've had, how many early payment defaults they had, you know, their average credits. We have a dashboard and you'd be surprised. We have dealers in there that have never had a single fraud, have had very, very few defaults. I mean, these are pristine dealers that any lender would love to work with and give them you know, not have to, they wouldn't have to bear the cost of the, the yeah. bad dealers that are submitting the fraud. So absolutely, I think that's a major way that the lenders and dealers can get more cooperative and actually start to incent those dealerships that are really doing a great job and, and give them more favorable terms because that's going to impact the consumers as well, right? They Is don't it? bring in pay stubs and bank statements and all this paperwork. They can just get a loan very quickly at good rates. Yeah, it's such a pain, the whole like stipulation process for, you know, near and subprime consumers. Yeah. There are so, there there are 
and if you if you know how to score these and look at their history and look at the data, there are subprime consumers with 550 FICO scores that perform far better than 750 FICO scores. You just have to know who those consumers are and really understand their. Yeah, uh, for anyone that's listening that's not in the industry and doesn't have subprime near prime credit and you know hasn't bought a car, you know when when that consumer comes to buy a car, it's a very lengthy and just tedious process collecting pay stubs and residency information, employment information, da 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 da. da. So it could take a long time. Um, you know if the consumer is not prepared, uh, just very inefficient process. Part of the reason why you know it makes scaling subprime very difficult unless you have your own bank, uh, cough cough Carvana. Uh, because you know they they sort of streamlined that process for them in house with their own lender, uh, or at least their own lending partnership with an affiliated entity, and that allowed them to make that process smooth and kind of digitized, uh, which is something that the industry hadn't really seen prior to that. And still, frankly, like you don't really see that uh, too. You know, it's not too widespread as you know, like how they've done it, or has how Carvana's done it. Um, whereas you know, like a prime credit customer, it's a much quicker, easier process. Yeah, it's a it's amazing. I think we look at it, and lenders typically will stipulate almost every single deal for pay stubs and bank statements. I mean, who has a pay stub anymore? Like ninety percent of people use direct deposits. So if you get asked for a pay stub, most people don't even know where to get that, right? And they're highly. The, the flip side of this is they're highly subject. You mentioned this to forgery. Everybody can go on, anybody can go online and for $5 in, in about one minute, you can get a pay stub that says you make anything you want. And it looks yeah. pretty good. It can fool almost anybody. Yeah. I think there's a website like fakepaystubs.com or something like that. Oh, there's, if you look at search, do a <laughs> URL search, there's hundreds and hundreds of them. There's so, even so AI pay stubs. I'm sure there are. <laughs> what, are what are the opportunities here, right? Like I want to make money. Like how, how do I make money here? What's, what's the, what's the plan? Yeah, I mean, I think for for any dealership, if I if I was looking at it from a dealership perspective, I think where a lot of dealers are getting burned with fraud right now is they're they're looking at fraud very um, very myopically just for like red flags. They just look at the credit bureau and that's all they see. I think the way that they have to do is broaden what they're looking at beyond just identity theft, but looking at income fraud and employment fraud. And here's something I actually didn't tell you, but this is a, a scheme that I think dealers really need to be aware of. We've identified in our data 11,000 shell companies, they're called fake employers, is that it? are being sold and circulated in the industry that they've stood up like a website, they have a phone number, they, if they'll pass them a pay stub. So if you were to call, if you were a dealership and you were to call that phone number, they would verify employment for that borrower. There are 11,000 of those that are being circulated. So really, if I say, you know, what, what, what would we, where we go from here is dealerships should look beyond just that identity into all these other things to stop those loans that they're getting pushed back on, because that's absolutely where I think fraud is heading is not just identity, but across the board. Um, I think it's, it's the lenders and dealers working more cooperatively with each other. We're seeing a big trend of this with, you know, use of you know, a lot of the verification systems, like the driver's license checking, the bank statements, the pay stubs, all of that being able to have the borrower kind of participate in that. I think that's the that's where we could go from there is just an easier process that's going to, number one, look for more frauds, but actually make it a lot easier for the end borrower. And what do you think when, when we look at like, just like five years out, do you think 
anything systematically changes in the process of buying a car for consumers or dealers? Or do you think it's more of like behind the scenes work is done and that just, you know, makes everything more efficient? Um, I think that, you know, I think of course things are going to move online. I think there's, that's just a process where people are going to do more of that maybe paperwork online. But I think what's going to fundamentally change with a dealership in terms of fraud is there's going to be a lot more use of technology. And I think it's going to be enabled through the phone. So you think about like, I think the borrower experience from a fraud perspective will be when you walk in a dealership, the first thing you may do is when you're applying for a loan is they're going to send you a link. You're going to upload your driver's license. You're probably going to give them maybe access by just logging into your bank account. Uh, you may give them uh, your credentials for your um, ADP, and then you're done, right? Everything is provided through the phone, and everything is done in the background. So no more paperwork, no more fax machines, no more you know blurry copies of documents going back and forth between the lender. It all goes into a portal. Everything's validated, and it speeds up the process by days because you're 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 basically having the borrower kind of contribute their documents through these fintech portals. I think that's the experience yeah. that borrower can expect. What didn't I ask you? <laughs> what are we missing? What are we missing? Um, well, one of the things that I think is interesting from a dealership perspective is, is just how inexperienced their salespeople and their finance managers are around fraud. They just don't think it happens. So I do a lot of dealership training for fraud. And uh, number one, what I find is you go in and it's a lot of younger people, salespeople who don't even know what fraud is. And they're kind of being, they're getting involved, not getting involved, but they're, they're being confronted with these frauds. And they don't even know what to look for. So I just think the training aspect and making people aware of it is like half the battle. Yeah. Um, I think that's a big overlooked type of thing from a dealership perspective. The other, the other thing that, which I think is really interesting, um, from a fraud perspective is, uh, when you talk about internal fraud at dealers, cause I know that's always been a hot topic, you know, what is, is there internal fraud happening at dealers? And there is, and I would say 99.9% .9 of that internal fraud, the owner actually has no idea that it's happening. It's oftentimes the finance managers or the salespeople that have come from other dealerships that, that bring these bad habits with them that get the owner in a lot, of, a lot of problems because they are basically passing fake pay stubs. They're working with these brokers that are bringing in bad borrowers or synthetic borrowers. I think just that aspect of internal fraud is something that owners need to be aware that it's happening. Uh, because it can really take a dealership down, you know, if you yeah. push backs and it can really damage the dealership. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's anyone that's been in the business for, you know, a significant period of time, you've experienced all of these things, or at least a lot of them in different forms. Um, and it can, it can get dirty. And so it's definitely, you know, especially now with what's happening in the market, it's, it's something that, you know, is sort of top of mind. Frank, this has been a uh, super interesting before we wrap up. I know I asked you if there's anything else I didn't ask you. Um, but if you want to, if you want to share anything else, and also if you can tell us for the audience where they can learn more about you and Point Predictive. Yeah, Point Predictive. Um, if you're interested in hearing more about Point Predictive or check us out, we're at www.pointpredictive.com. 
Um, we're also on LinkedIn if you're if you're on that as well. Um, you can reach out to us there. There's also info at Point Predictive if you have any questions about fraud. Um, I'm always happy to help a dealership understand, and we even do training and things like that. If you've had a couple of frauds and you you want us to kind of give you some perspective on it, we see a lot of fraud. Our fraud team here last year identified 500 million just with their own fraud team in fraud. That's working with dealerships and working with lenders, kind of looking at those loans hand by hand. Um, so we're happy to help any way we can to kind of target this big problem. I never thought I'd have such an in-depth conversation about fraud, but here I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might. More. I love it. So yeah, it's a, I think COVID did a lot of, uh, one of the things that I've always said is people wonder why fraud's up so much and it all started during the pandemic. Um, my estimate, there was probably a million new people that learned how to commit fraud during COVID because they were going after PPP money and unemployment and they never went back to their day jobs and they're all all these million fraudsters now, I call them newbie fraudsters, are now going out and they're targeting cars. We found one, one interesting thing. I'll just throw a lot, another anecdote out there. But yeah. we talked about synthetic identity. We went and looked at the, all the synthetic identity out of Chicago last year. And we, we actually did a search for PPP loans. We wanted to say, did those people that bought a car with a synthetic identity actually ever try to get a PPP loan. And 76% of the people that went into dealerships to, to get a car with a synthetic identity last year had gotten a PPP loan the prior year. Oh, look so, at that correlation. Yeah, there was a very strong correlation. Auto, and that's why auto fraud is up so much this year because it's, it's not PPP anymore. It's not unemployment fraud anymore. It's car loans. And that's why I think we're seeing this shift upwards and while these dealers are, are getting hit. I love it, my friend Frank. Thanks so much for coming on. Very interesting. And I uh, wish you lots of success. This is definitely, yeah, you, uh, unfortunately, like a hot area, but I guess fortunately for your business. So I'm sure you guys are going to do well. Yeah, no, thanks. And I really appreciate all that you do. And uh, I, love, I love all the stats you give and the charts and things like that. I just uh, do my best. We always pass <laughs> them around here. We're like, oh, man, I love it. Got such a good, yeah, your, your newsletter is just really great. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right, my friend. Cool. Thank you. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Please give the podcast a rating, consider subscribing to the show and check the show notes for links to what we talked about. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time.